today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? It's a favorite of our guest today. Now, he's an author, a teacher, editor, and producer. He's also a working musician in New York City where he is a uh, inductee of the New York Blues Hall of Fame. Finally, like me, he's a podcaster with his show Scored to Death, which focuses on scores from horror films. And yet today, his choices of favorite cues may surprise you. We'll find out more about that. But first, please join me in welcoming Jay Blake Fischera to the program. Hi, Blake. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. And it, uh, I know you're part of uh, one of our previous guests' uh, network, Eric Woods, and uh, you reached out and said, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to be on your program. And when I looked at what you did, I said, yeah, absolutely. So I'm delighted to have you with us, and I appreciate you joining us. I appreciate it. Always happy to talk. Okay. Well, <laughs> so am I, as you'll probably find out. Um, As I always start out our interviews, I always like to learn a little bit more about the individual we're talking to uh, outside of the music world or scores or or, or what we're going to talk about today. I want to find out the personal side about you. So if you could maybe tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, uh, family growing up, you know, where you grew up and, uh, you know, kind of background like that up until your uh, formative years, I guess. Well, I grew up uh, my... You know, my youth, uh, I grew up in Philadelphia until I was about nine or 10. And then my mom got remarried and I moved to the Albany, New York area. Wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, I always just had a love of movies and music and, uh, and the combination of the two. So you know, growing up in the house, I always had, we always had soundtracks, uh, Star Wars, Jaws, a lot of John Williams. I think a lot of people of my generation, film music lovers of my generation, they're, a lot of their loves of film music started with John Williams. <laughs> and, I would, and I would agree with that. In fact, to me, uh, in my mind, he's kind of the guy that made 
listening to soundtracks cool again. If that makes sense, what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. And, uh, you know, so in my growing up, just film music was, there wasn't a distinction between film music and other kinds of music. We just listened to all kinds of music. So I was very fortunate in that way from classical to jazz, pop, rock. Uh, so I always had just kind of eclectic musical tastes and I always loved going to the movies. My dad, when I lived in Philadelphia would pick me up sometimes even on a weeknight after school and take me to the, to the movies. Uh, so that love just never died. And when I was in high school, I, Junior high and high school, I just started uh, loving movies. I was also grew up right at the perfect time for that kind of 90s independent film wave of Tarantino and Rob Rodriguez and Kevin Smith and all those people to really take hold because I was, those were probably my most formative years. Uh, so well, I. I I'm curious. I'm curious. Is, is this when you, because I, I, I talked about in, in introducing you that you're a musician. Is it, at the same time, are you learning music and, 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 and learning a, an instrument to play at the same time? Yeah, I started, I mean, some, some would say late, some would say early. I started playing guitar in uh, my teens. Okay. I fell in love with blues music uh, and also with Black's, the band Black Sabbath. <laughs> and <laughs> so right. a great combination of things, which is why... Uh, You know, why a, a, a track like, um, which was a very formative track for me, and we might be talking about it later, uh, was uh, the th main theme for In the Mouth of Madness, which was written by John Carpenter. I saw that movie at a sleepover on my birthday, like the year it came out on VHS. And by that point, my friends and I were making short films on a VHS camera oh wow uh all the time we made them every weekend it was our thing and so this was kind of my mid to late teens we were just churning out these movies and then i rented that movie and me and my friends watched it and that night we made our first horror movie and that main theme just kind of captured my imagination and uh the combination of rock guitar with horror music was very much in the same uh, neighborhood as Black Sabbath in some ways, which I was getting into at the time and heavy metal. And, and that was the first horror movie soundtrack that I ever purchased with my own money. You know, right, and, and, and I, and I, I want to explore that a little bit later uh, if, if we may, if so, it's interesting that you ever consider yourself lucky that you grew up at a time where you could, do something like that so easily? I mean, make movies on the weekend? I mean, you know, unless you had a 16 millimeter camera and, and, and sound equipment, which was a huge expense before VHS, you couldn't do that, but now it's pretty simple. I mean, yeah, well now it's even more simple. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, cause now, now people can edit and do all these things. We were editing in the camera. We were just cutting it and then changing angles. and then changing <laughs> back. But uh, yeah, I grew up at, in my like the absolute perfect time to make to, to make me you know that my generation was the first generation who grew up with the ability to watch movies at home 
anytime yeah. oh, I yeah. wanted. Yeah, yeah. The video I call my generation the video store generation. You know? Yeah, oh yeah. I used to I used to manage a video store actually early in my professional career. So I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, we had access to movies like the generations before us never did. So I grew up, you know, spoiled in that way. We could rent movies. We did rent movies, uh, cable TV, another thing. I didn't have it at my mom's house. Uh, it, never, not even till I got to college in the, in the late nineties, but my dad had those things. And so when I would visit my father on weekends and uh, when we moved to Albany, then on the holidays and stuff, I was exposed to, cable tv and we wow. movies and stuff and so it was a kind of the perfect uh storm of of events and then the the ability to make movies on vhs camera yeah ha- having albums and cds and then all that love for things caused me to go to i went to film school oh, okay. um i went to uh, suny purchase which was at the time probably one of the strongest um most reputable n- uh, undergraduate film programs. Okay. And that's, and there we shot 16 millimeter and we edited on flatbeds. Wow. Uh, but it, it's also a half hour North of New York city. So this was another kind of perfect storm in terms of, I was getting into horror movies in my, in my high school years. We start, my friends and I, my friends and I started renting horror movies every Friday and I started to fall in love with the movies of John Carpenter and then when I went to film school, the greatest aspect for me of going to film school was meeting other people that were as enthusiastic about films as I was. Mm-hmm. And through them, even more so than class, being introduced to films that I had never seen before. So being introduced to other horror films uh, and also being in film school horror, I, I look back at now as being a little bit of a maybe a rebellious thing because we were learning about all <laughs> well, the classics. And, 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 and if you don't mind, Blake, I, I, I do want to focus on that, but I'd, I'd rather, I, I'm going to follow, I want to follow up with this just a little bit later, but it, it's, it's interesting how you are gravitating t- towards horror films. And I want to talk about that a little bit later. Um, I, your list of favorites actually fascinated me because um, they're not all horror scores. <laughs> the first one of which is uh, the the film Rocky. Um, and I, I love the one that you chose for that. And I'm trying to remember, what's the name of the cue? Do you recall? Uh, going the Distance. Ah, yes. And I, and I think I know what that is. But tell us a little bit about why you wanted to include that amongst your favorites. Well, growing up uh, a kid of Philadelphia and then ah. moving away from Philadelphia, the Rocky movies always felt to me a little bit like a security blanket. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so when I live, when I moved, you know, I missed home for a while and the Rocky movies played on TV, even non-cable TV all the time back then. Uh, and I knew them so well from watching them on weekends on the local Fox affiliates and whatnot, that <laughs> I knew exactly when the commercial breaks were coming. And even today, <laughs> even today, when I watch them, I, I can pinpoint in Rocky three, when the next commercial, when the commercial's coming. Uh, <laughs> so I, I grew up just loving the Rocky movies. Um, and, but at some point, it's interesting because at some point the first Rocky movie stopped getting shown a lot. So, Really, you were just seeing sometimes two, but three and four. And the f- fourth score, which is not by Bill Conti, is also a score that I've come to love a lot. 
Uh, but when I was in my late twenties or early thirties, I was down on my luck. I was out of work. I had moved into Manhattan. I couldn't afford my apartment. I, I, uh, I was having issues in a relationship and we were on a break and I was just like really down on my luck. And, uh, I was watching television and on Turner classic movies, they were introducing the first Rocky movie. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you know what? I haven't seen the first one probably since I was 17 at that point, you know, because I just was watching all the other ones and I hadn't seen the first one in forever. I was like, I'm going to watch it. So I sat and watched it and it was quite literally a life changing experience. Oh, how neat. The the difference between watching Rocky when you're 17 and you have your whole life ahead of you and you have dreams and you think you're going to fulfill them. Yeah. And when you're watching the movie when you're Rocky's age and you haven't lived up to the potential you thought you were going to live up to and you're down on your luck and you are Rocky is, you know, the, it's mind blowing the difference. And so yeah. it's, it's become a movie since then that I watch all the time, at least once a year, probably more. And I th- find things in it every time. It's, wow. I, I can, it's become my favorite movie of all time and well, I consider it lightning in a bottle. And part of that is that everything about that movie works and it couldn't work better. And Bill Conti's score is one of those things. And the reason why I chose this score and this cue is because this is one of the few pieces of music, pieces of film music that can literally make me cry. Even if I'm not watching the movie. <laughs> wow. Wow. Hey, listen, we now, now you've built it up so much. We got to hear this. So, uh, let's have a listen to this. This is from the film Rocky, uh, 1976. It's uh, called Going the Distance, and it's written by composer Bill Conti. Thank you. 
you know, hearing that reminds me that I was very fortunate. Uh, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Most of my listeners know that, which is the home of LSU, which happens to be, which happens to be the school that Bill Conti graduated from. That's true. And he gave a concert here a couple of years ago. And you know what? The guy was extremely entertaining. He was so hilarious. And, and of course, his music was fantastic. And I remember him joking about the fact that the, the Rocky movie basically paid for his kids' college education. You know, he just he made a big deal out of that. So it was just a little side note I thought I'd share, pass along. Uh, he really, if you ever have, if he's ever doing a, I don't know if he'll do concerts again, but if he does, you buy a ticket because I promise you, you'll be entertained. Not only because of the music, but because of him. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's amazing. I, I had the opportunity to interview him quite uh in uh, in quite detail uh just as we were getting the pandemic maybe even beforehand wow and it was uh one of the thrill i've i've been fortunate to interview many composers uh it's a passion of mine but since bill conti's such a big hero of mine that was really special yeah i well maybe we'll talk off air or something i've been trying to pursue that as well but uh but to, to no avail but anyway you mentioned several times already this uh, affinity that you have for horror movies. And I guess in addition to that scores from horror movies, what, what was it that uh, had you gravitate to, to that genre? Yeah. So um, when I was in film school, I started to get into horror movies and, and I kind of already was, you know, my friends and I were renting movies and I was already into the music of John Carpenter. But when I was in film school, I started to watch Italian horror movies and I got introduced to the films of Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci. And through those movies, the movies of the band, the music of the band Goblin, which was a progressive rock band that did a lot of soundtracks in Italy throughout the seventies and eighties. The composer Fabio Fritzi, who composed a lot of Lucio Fulci stuff. And I just absolutely fell in love with the music. And that love just kind of never died, you know? And and basically, more than anyone else, John Carpenter, the band Goblin, and Fabio Fritzi uh, ended up being why I pursued later uh, interviewing composers. And I started doing that for what would become a book and then two books and then a podcast. Uh, the books are called scored to death. And the, my reason for doing that was really just because at the time there was not a lot of information available about, especially about the Italian composers, at least in, in English. I don't know about in Italy and I wanted to know about them. And so I, I decided to just ask if I could interview them so that I could find out the information that I wanted to know. And that's kind of how it all started. And now I'm kind of known as the horror music guy because I <laughs> these, these two books. And then I started to do score to death, the podcast as an extension of that where I interview, Yes. A lot of um, horror composers, but also guys like Bill Conti who aren't horror. And I got to expand kind of my right. palette. Well, uh, you know, I, I find it interesting. You know, um, my listeners will know I, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have a wide variety of composers alike. I have a couple of favorites and that's it. Conti is one of them. John Barry. Everybody knows I love John Barry. I kind of like John Williams, kind of. I really like Jerry Goldsmith. But, but, but a dark horse in that is, is John Carpenter. 
I've been impressed. I mean, the guy's a director, but he's also, I mean, it's pretty amazing that the guy can direct a movie and write a script, but also do the score for it. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Have you ever had a chance to talk with him? I, uh, I (laughs) had the honor and the, uh, intimidation of, <laughs> inter- of interviewing John Carpenter for my first book, wow. which, is, which is titled score to death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. Wow. And in that book, I interviewed Carpenter. I interviewed Claudio Simonetti and Maurizio Guarini from the band Goblin, Fabio Fritzi. Uh, but I also interviewed the composers of the Hellraiser score Friday, the 13th Nightmare on Elm Street, a lot of really great, uh, amazing composers. Uh, but John Carpenter was definitely the most intimidating because one, my love for him and his music and his movies. Uh, he's also just, he's not a talker. So he's a, he's a yes or no kind of guy. And sometimes right. you have to, you have to pull a little bit to get more out of him. But what's interesting about him as a composer, when you interview him about his music is that unlike all the other people I've interviewed, he Maybe now is different because he's become a bit of a rock star and has released albums of music. But back then, when I interviewed him, uh, he definitely did not consider himself a composer. You know, he mm-hmm. was a filmmaker, and yeah. making music was an extension of that, and quite literally an afterthought because it was the last thing he did <laughs> in the filmmaking yeah. process. Yeah. So he just didn't verbalize, uh, you know, making music the same way that people who whose real focus in their career is on that. But yeah, I did get the, I did get to interview him and it was. That's cool. That's cool. Well, speaking of John Carpenter, the next cue that you had chosen uh, as a favorite is from a film called uh, in the mouth of madness comes from uh, uh, done in 1994. Uh, uh, The score is written by John Carpenter and also Jim Lang, who I don't know nothing. I don't, I know nothing about that individual, but tell me a little bit about, because you had a wide variety of things to choose from John Carpenter. Why was it you chose this one in particular as one of your favorites? Yeah, I kind of alluded to this earlier because this this piece of music is kind of monumental. And I would not be, I never probably not, never would have written the books or gotten into uh, film horror film music in the way that I did had I not watched In the Mouth of Madness and fallen in love with this theme when I was a teenager. And I can trace it all the way back to then. Uh, it just captured my imagination. It was, I was, it, it kind of explored horror film music, but also rock and, and heavy metal in a way. And when I write the, the month that my book, the first book came out, uh, was released, which was, uh, I think July of 2016, John Carpenter went on tour for the first time. Wow. Uh, playing music. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> and I, and I got to see him live in New York city, the week that the book came out and right before the encore, he played this piece of music. Uh, and there's a section when we listen to it, you'll hear that kind of the band cuts out and it's keyboards. And when they did it live, the band took a step back, the spotlight hit John and he just played this kind of, uh, ethereal ambient keyboard stuff. And at that moment I felt, it was like a weird full circle thing. I, I <laughs> felt a lot of pride for having put out a book because I, I didn't know if I could do it. And it was a lot of work. I spent years on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was t- to that at that point, probably the biggest professional accomplishment of my life. And it all and at that moment, I traced it all the way back to this song. And I it literally I was overwhelmed with emotion when I saw it live and I and I started to cry. 
<laughs> don't, and, uh, don't be ashamed of that. I've been there too. I know what you mean. And uh, it just, it just, it, it meant a lot to me. And to be able to see him play live, which I never would have imagined possible when I fell in love with his music. And then even when I wrote, when I first interviewed him for the book, you know, there wasn't even an album of original music from him on the horizon. And then by the time the book came out, he had an an album of original music, just everything was coming together in a weird way. And uh, this piece of music uh, has just meant a lot to me. uh, Yeah. Because of all that. Let's uh, you've, you've teed it up very nice. Let's uh, have a listen to this. This is um, from the film in the mouth of madness. I think is the cue called the same thing. I think. Yeah, it's basically the main title cue. Okay, main title. Uh, it's from a film in 1994, and it's written by composers John Carpenter and Jim Lang.
You know, and looking through your list of, of scores and cues that you chose, I, I found it kind of interesting because I know your, your, your love is for horror scores and those sorts of things. And yet there's not, there's what I think maybe, I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know the films well enough, but there's only two or three out of all of them that you chose that were horror. And, and, and most surprisingly, and I'm, this is not a criticism. I'm just, I'm fascinated by it. Most of the ones that you chose were either from the 60s, 70s, or 80s. So I'd be curious, you kind of tell me about why, in your view, maybe are you gravitating towards the scores that were written in that time period? I, I guess because they're the scores I grew up with. And uh, though I love contemporary films and film music, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a podcast for a while that, you know, we, we did pretty well, uh, but we ended up stopping and we're technically on a break. We're not sure if we'll come back, but it was a, it was a podcast that was based mostly on nostalgia of films. And we talked a lot about the eighties and nineties because that's when my co-host and I grew up, but we both just being film lovers, we just love movies. And, uh, so it, you know, I, reason why I, I chose, you know, not as many horror film cues is one because uh you know my tastes are not strictly for horror uh two i very rarely get to talk about anything but horror on podcasts <laughs> <laughs> no I, and by the way and i love it i love the fact that you've you've chosen a wide variety not only in terms of genres but also in terms of time period so i i think it's great i was just kind of curious to explore that yeah, I just, I love all kinds of music, uh, and that includes all kinds of film music. And one of the beautiful things about film music is that uh, it, it maybe is not so representative in the in most of the cues that I picked, but like film music can encompass any genre. There are jazz scores, and believe oh, me, yeah. I, was, I was very uh, tempted to pick something from Lalo Schifrin, more of a jazz flair, mm. uh, when you asked me to put together a list of things. Uh so I just, you know, these are all scores that in some way or another, I, I think are, were important to me or are important to, to, to who I am. Um, some of the horror films cues we might talk about are also a little bit representative of, of stuff that, that I talk about in my, in my second book, which is my latest book, Score to Death. Two. Okay. Well, you know, and, and you mentioned earlier, uh, John Williams as being an influence. And uh, you wanted to choose a cue from uh, from Star Wars. Uh, I'm sure many people do. <laughs> uh, yeah, the hologram. Let me see here. The, what is it? the hologram and uh, binary sunset? Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you uh, why you decided to choose that amongst your favorites because I mean I'm a big fan of that as well. Uh, the Superman score was also huge for me, and so it was it was tough to pick. But uh, Star Wars. In that whole section of when I was talking about I was falling in love uh, with movies, Star Wars was such a big part of that. They had come out on VHS at that point, and I got them on, for Christmas. And uh, probably one of the main reasons I wanted to make movies as a kid was because of my love for Star Wars. This cue specifically uh, is, one, just beautiful. Two, in a lot of ways, looking back on it as an adult and watching the movie now, kind of captures for me the soul of what this the whole movie is about you know the scene of you know the call to action of the of seeing the hologram of princess leia and then the boy who wants more who wants adventure to get off this crazy sand planet standing and looking at the sunset 
wishing mm. for a better for a different future than what seems to be laid out in front of him is is for me is the soul of the movie and this piece of music is uh, kind of represents that perfectly for me yeah perfect and and you know i would say that this probably could very well be the the start of the boom of interest in film scores again that got younger people uh, uh, interested in film music with the, the, the star wars it was what it was a two album uh, release right double album yeah. so i mean it was amazing so yeah let's hear let's hear this for ourselves this is um, from the the, uh, the original star wars 1977 of course it's known as episode 4 as well now <laughs> um, and it's the hologram binary sunset and it's written by the maestro john williams
We'll get back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, uh, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10-15 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week, where we'll play additional cues as well as ask uh, some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's patreon.com. As I mentioned when I introduced you, you also happen to, uh, like me, host a, a podcast. It's uh, called Scored to Death, and I would like you to tell us a little bit about that. What was the genesis behind that uh, starting in the first place? And, you know, just tell us a little bit about what you cover and what you do on that podcast. Sure. I, I actually have two called Score to Death. I have okay. Score to Death podcast, which is a little bit of an extension of my books, which is where I interview composers. Uh, I don't do it a whole lot because it's a lot of work. Uh, uh, I do have one great interview in the can with David Shire, which I have yet to, oh, wow. to, to start to edit, Excellent. Uh, but, uh, the, the podcast that I do more often because it's slightly easier in terms of, uh, just workload is I do a, a show called score to death radio on the cinematic sound radio network. Oh, okay. And the same thing that, uh, Eric Woods is uh, in charge of, right? Or yeah, part of his baby. Yeah. Eric had invited me to do something there. I used to do a show called cuts from the crypt, uh, for a, <laughs> a British network called the damn fine network. And it was actually the host of, of the damn fine network. He actually posted that show and then his workload got too much. And he asked me if I would take over. And it's huh. basically, uh, that was basically a kind of a radio show format where I get to introduce horror film cues. And then I play the cues or, you know, sometimes I like to in play the music and then introduce the cues. And then when that, sh that ended, the net that network ended and I was kind of looking for ways to do it. Uh, so, well, something similar, not the exact show, but something similar that was more my own. Uh, and uh, I knew Eric through the Twitter and, and whatnot, and we had become friendly and he was, he had this network. And so I started doing score to death radio for him. And so it's, it's kind of a music show. What I say is uh, my books and score to death, the podcast kind of celebrate composers and the craft of film scoring. And with score to death radio, I get to celebrate the music. Isn't it interesting? I mean, 
there, there are people that you're friends with and that you actually really pr- probably know pretty well that you've never met be- because of social media. Is it, you, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next cue that you chose, I'm guessing goes back to horror. This is from the film, the house on sorority row. And it's the uh, main title from that. Talk to us a little bit about why you wanted to include that in amongst your uh, favorites. Yeah, I uh, I got the chance to interview the composer, Richard Band, for uh, Score to Death 2, my second book. And I had always appreciated uh, Richard's music because he had scored some films that I really love. But it was through researching his for his interview that I just started to absolutely fall in love with his music and his talent. And then through interviewing him and learning about the way he works, uh, just even more so. And the what I why I picked uh, House on Sorority Row is because it through doing all this interviewing and writing about film music, I've come to learn that obviously film music kind of plays many functions, many roles, and has many functions in the film making process. And one that I think gets overlooked is, you know, a, a great score can add production value. Or, mm, oh yeah. And what the beautiful thing about the house and sorority Rose score is that it's 1982. It's the slasher film. Boom house and sorority row is a good one, but a pretty typical slasher movie for the era and where Halloween and a lot of slasher scores were going more in the direction of synthesized scores. Richard band does this lush orchestral score and its Mm. main theme is this beautiful waltz that you would not even know is for a horror movie when you listen to it. (laughs) And it's, and it's become one of my favorite pieces of film music uh, ever because it's just gorgeous. And the fact that uh, it's for this pretty typical slasher movie just kind of floors me. The rest of the score is also a beautiful orchestra, but he starts to get more into you know, horror conventions with a lot of the other score. But right. this theme is just beautiful, so I just had to include it. Now, and and forgive me, the, the name is Richard Band. Is that how you pronounce it? Band, yeah. Band, okay. Well, let's have a listen for ourselves. This is from the film uh, The House of Sorority Row, and it's written by composer Richard Band.
you uh, you already brought up the fact that you had uh, written a couple of books, and I'd, I'd like to talk to you about that. Um, I found it fascinating, and my effort to talk to various film composers, and I feel very lucky. I've had a chance to to talk to many, but it sounds like you have as well. Kind of tell me a little bit about some of the discussions that you've had in putting together those books, and what were some of the names? I know you may have said some before, but there's worth repeating. What were some of the people that you were able to talk to on your focus on horror film scores? Uh, Well, uh, the first book is uh, kind of focuses a lot on franchises but uh uh in terms of uh christopher young uh okay. who scored hellraiser as well as you know a million other films including many wonderful scores for not horror films scores uh harry maffredini who did the friday the 13th films charles uh bernstein who did the original nightmare on elm street as well as many great films inside and outside of horror as well as more contemporary composers joseph bashara who does the insidious and conjuring movies uh so the first book has 14 composers um and the second book has 16 the second book has richard who we talked about uh richard band uh right. charlie clauser who did the saw films uh, I also was able to interview, I think it's probably the last interview with a composer named uh, Bob Cobert, who scored the original Dark Shadows television series. Oh, wow. Um, he was, I think, 94 when I interviewed him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, he died, I don't know, the following year just before COVID hit, it was said pneumonia. And I, now I wonder if maybe he got COVID. It was really yeah. early on. It was like February and then COVID really hit in March. <clears throat> um, that was just an amazing conversation. You know, walk down memory lane with this guy who's, you know, done so many great television and film scores throughout his long and illustrious career. And I also had the chance to interview some uh, Asian composers for the book the second book uh, it was a little bit of a process it was done via email with translators and everything but the uh, kenji Kawai and uh, koji endo and uh just a just a wonderful group of composers and then i that the extension of that was scored to death the podcast which actually the second book kind of came out of my interviews uh, partially came out of my interviews for scored to death the podcast but scored to death the podcast i've got to i have a chance to interview uh Barry Dvorzon, who uh, is a wonderful, interesting composer, fascinating conversation. Bill Conti, uh, like I said, I have a David Shire interview that I have yet to edit that's coming up. So I, I've had I've had a wonderful, uh, a fantastic chance to interview composers dating back with Bob Cobert all the way to the fifties to you know contemporary composers. It, it, it's interesting, and I and you know, and I have to apologize. I'm you know, while I'm a film music fan, uh, my breadth of uh, knowledge about all kinds of film composers is actually pretty narrow. Yeah. So you're bringing up a lot of names that that I'm not familiar with, but but and and that's good. I mean, I like that, and I like the fact that you've been able to highlight some of their work, and that's great. Um, well, what's my question? I guess. Um, how is it? What is it that they bring to the film score uh, genre, for lack of a better way of saying it? What is it they bring to it that maybe some more of the, for lack of a better term, mainstream composers bring to something like that? Is there something they do different? 
I don't know if it's something that they do different. Uh, they, but you know, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are working with budgets that are a lot smaller than someone that you know, like hot hammers yeah. going to be working with. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, before I started interviewing composers, I, I, because of my love for blues music, I, for a few years, I, I ran, I wrote a weekly column for a blues internet magazine and i got to start to interview people for that um some blues musicians people that were my heroes in that field and i just discovered that i really loved talking to creative people about their art Mm -hmm. and uh when i started doing the interviews for the composers i just had it just brought me so much joy to listen to talk to these people about what they do and how they do it and uh especially at that time. Now there are many outlets. There's a lot of different po- film music podcasts and stuff. But when I started doing it, it seemed to me that uh, just by the reaction that not, they weren't interviewed as in-depthly as I was doing it. And and they, I think they were happy to be getting the recognition. And That's and been my experience. I know what you're saying. Yeah. And happy to talk about what they do. And uh, it's, so it's just, it's become something that I just love doing. Um, and you know, it, the focus of horror, it started that way, but the, the truth is my interviews for people that have read the book or listened to what I do and, uh, and, and to, to the people that haven't yet, I think you'll find that horror plays a very small part of what I talk to them about. Yes. We talk about how music functions within horror movies and we talk about how they created those horror movie scores, but the interviews are mostly about them you know, what, why they got into writing film music, their love for music, and then how they create film music. Yeah. Cause that's what really interests me. Now I'm curious because I've had the experience a couple of times to do this. Have you ever, to show you the impact of music, I'm curious, have you ever been able to see a rough cut of a film before the music has been inserted? Be- be- because it shows you just how important music is. To, to, to making uh, to emphasizing the drama and, and and making impact on the viewer have you ever had a chance to do that well you know this is, uh, the stuff I did in, in film school and, and watching my friends film okay. in film school but nothing to that extent I mean sometimes you get to see you know uh on you know uh special features deleted scenes that don't have music right. on them yet you know there's a famous story about uh, John Carpenter when he was making Halloween showed a cut of Halloween to a studio executive and he hadn't done the music yet. And they were like, this is too long. It's too scary. It doesn't work. And then he went and he scored it and he brought it back and didn't cut anything, but didn't tell them. And they were like, Oh yeah, this is works. This is so much, so much scarier. It moves so much faster. I love (laughs) what you did with the editing, but he didn't change the editing. He just added music. And the music. Yeah. It's so powerful. It's, 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 I encourage all my listeners, if you ever have an opportunity, you know, I don't, I don't know how you get the opportunity, but if you ever have one, and I've had, a, again, a couple, and they're both James Bond movies. If you have a, an opportunity to see a a rough cut without any music put into the uh, the film, it's amazing how flat it is. It's amazing how flat it is without the music. So it's something to keep in mind. Um, yeah. Film, film music does a million different things that we don't even think about. Oh, yeah. Now you also chose uh, another cue, and and my gosh, I I love this composer, and he and just unfortunately recently passed, but I'm I'm glad you chose him because he's written so many. I mean, my gosh, he was prolific, like you wouldn't believe. Uh, I'm talking about the film uh, 
once upon a time in the I think in the West, right? Once upon yeah. a time. And yes. we're, we're talking about a, a uh, the cue is called Man with a Harmonica, and it's written by the uh, let's face it, he's the maestro, Ennio Morricone. Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to choose that amongst one of your favorites. Well, um, I just uh, you know I fell in love with the 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 uh, Leone West Sergio Leone westerns like anybody else does, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, and this one just happens to be my favorite. And this score is uh, of, I love many in your Morricone scores, but this one just, I don't know. It just touches me in a, in a way this particular, well, the score itself, what's interesting is because the film itself is very much an ensemble piece. Uh, you know, there are all these characters and all the, although all their storylines do converge um, each he's given each character their own theme. Mm. Um, you know, liet motif is the, uh, I think the, the, each piece of each character has their own piece of music. Yeah. And what I, and what I find interesting is the character whose name is, I think harmonica in the movie who's played by Charles Bronson. Um, he plays a harmonica throughout the film and what he does. And Morcone does it also in, uh, for a few dollars more with, with, uh, the pocket watch that makes noise that makes a, that plays a song, but the, Harmonica in this film, it starts out as diegetic and that it, it's, he plays it in the film. Everybody can hear it, but then all of a sudden it becomes score and it's orchestrated. And, uh, I just love this piece of music because it's ominous. And as you know, I, I have a, a certain affinity for horror film music. And so there, <laughs> there, this is a, it's a dark piece of music and, uh, it, it's his theme and, the resolution of the Charles Bronson character is such a, it's really the crux of this movie for me in a lot of ways. I could have easily have picked Jill's America, which is a beautiful piece of music. Uh, but this one just, uh, it's just, it's got balls. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let, let's have a listen for ourselves. This again from the film, once upon a time in the West, the cue is called man with a harmonica and it's written by the maestro Ennio Morricone.
So um, it seems to me like you have a lot of irons in the fire. So what's uh, what's going on in your future? What are some things that maybe some of our listeners might enjoy hearing that you're working on at the moment and things they can look forward to in the future? Well, I'm, you know, I'm still doing uh, Score to Death Radio over at the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I don't do it uh, on any particular schedule, but I try not to go too long without having an episode. And other than that, uh, because my day job is working in television um, as uh, an editor and a producer, I, uh, I'm currently trying to turn the books score to death into a documentary or a series. So that's what oh, I'm working okay. on trying to get that off the ground. So hopefully in the future, we'll have the next iteration, the next <laughs> generation of score to death will, will be, uh, in either a documentary film or a documentary series. Did you see that? Um, I think it was two or three years ago, uh, there was a documentary on film music. I think it was just simply called score. Did you happen to see that by any chance? I, uh, I've seen parts of it. I, you know, when I, I that came out, um, kind of soon after my first book came out and then I was working on other stuff and uh, I had always had plans to make a documentary. And there was a part of me that was like, maybe I shouldn't watch this because I don't want to just remake this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, they, they had an interesting approach to it. I, I would encourage you to watch it, if nothing else, just to kind of maybe give you some ideas or whatnot. It's, it was very, very well done. Yeah, I'm sure. Very well done. Um, it's interesting how the uh, the last cue that you had chose that we were going to talk about on this uh, program, uh, once again, we visit composer Bill Conti. Uh, and this is from the film. I love this film. I love the music in it, too. Uh, it's from the film called The Karate Kid. The cue is called Training Hard. It almost sounds a little bit like a, something of a Rocky vein that you chose earlier, but perhaps not. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to choose that amongst your favorites. You know, I, I grew up in the eight, as a kid in the 80s, so the Karate Kid was big, but I didn't become to really fully appreciate the Karate Kid until I got older, and maybe even as an adult. And it's really become one of my favorite movies. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful film that I don't think gets the credit it really deserves. Uh, and Conti's score for it is just gorgeous. Mm. Uh, and for me, this cue, like the Star Wars cue I chose, in, is just uh, it's a very important cue for the film. This is the point in which, within the film, you know, Pat Morita gives his uh, Oscar nominated performance in the scene where he's celebrating, you know, uh, kind of the life and, and death of his wife yeah. and he's drunk and Daniel comes and sees his mentor father figure in a, in a, in a bad way and, uh, but puts him to bed and, and in a way kind of becomes the father figure in that scene. And then we launch into this gorgeous training sequence, this montage. Uh, and it's where kind of you know, there's a there's a moment you could say it's kind of where we go from act two into act three and Daniel kind of steps up and he starts training on his own and and we start to believe that maybe he can do it. Maybe he can win. Yeah. And uh Conti's music here is just so beautiful and I listen to it all the time. <laughs> yeah, let's let's have a listen for ourselves. Again, this is from the film uh, The Karate Kid. The cue is called Training Hard and it's written by composer Bill Conti. Thank you. 
Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Now, I'm kind of curious if people are interested in following you and what you're doing and what you have out there, you know, online, as it were. How, how do people find you and how, how can they uh, uh, connect with you, I guess, as it were? Well, I'm uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, uh, my uh, handle there is at scored to death. And uh, the books are available on Amazon uh, from other book retailers or from me directly at scoredtodeath.com. And like I said, there are Score to Death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers and mm-hmm. Score to Death 2, more conversations uh, with some of horror's greatest composers. And uh, and uh, I like I said, I do a somewhat regular show at the Cinematic Sound Radio Network called Scored to Death Radio. All right. Excellent. I hope people take advantage of that. This is a, this is a gentleman obviously knows what he's talking about and has a real passion for it. So I have no doubt that the books and the podcast reflect that passion. So uh, what, what else can I say? I, I really appreciate you joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed uh, talking with you today. Absolutely. Like I said, I, I very rarely get to talk about, uh, especially in film music, things other than horror movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, and, I, and I appreciate that. I, I, I love your list. I think it was terrific. Well, listen, uh, with that, there's not much else to say. I want to uh, thank our guest, obviously, Blake, for, for joining us today. And all our patrons, by the way, who are supporting the program. I'm most grateful for that. We'll have a, a little bit of a bonus episode with Blake here in a moment for our patrons. That's exclusive to them. Uh, but I'm I'm grateful for all of you. I really appreciate your support of the program and listening in. And uh, I guess, gee, there's nothing more to say other than this. My my name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score.